We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Heat Beat Podcast. I'm your host, Carlo Navas. A little sick today. I got a little cold. It's my flu game. But we have our draft pre-special. And with me today, we have producer and co-founder, Mr. Brian Goins. Woo! Live from a hotel room. of the entire season. Brian, this is like Brian's Christmas. Like, I have one. All I want to do is talk about Raptors and Kyle Lowry and what they switched and what they didn't. And Brian wants to talk about draft. Brian, what hotel? Where are you? I am at the Holiday Inn Express and... I didn't ask like for the like, the actual damn hotel. Told <laughs> me where man. I was. I told you exactly where I am. Bleep it out. Um, we have our heat beat insider, Lefty Leif. Good evening, gentlemen. We have our statistician and pun master, Nikias Duncan. Clark Hive. <laughs> and our guest today, Cole Zwicker from the Stefian. Um, thank you, sir. Thank you. Did I say it right? I got. Nervous. Did you just say? Steph, like Steph and Curry? Man, let me tell you something. I, I got <laughs> shook. It, I felt like Quinn Cook shooting an important moment. I got very scared. <laughs> it's about a 50% hit rate when it comes to that. So no big. Uh, happy to be on, guys. I had asked three times prior to starting the show, and then I, I got scared of uh, Zwicker because uh, I'm bad with names, as everyone in this podcast knows. But Cole, uh, welcome to the program. Uh, thank you so much for joining us. I know that's a really busy time for you. No, of course. Uh, thanks for having me. And before we start, where like where can the people find your work? What's your Twitter at? What's all that stuff? So like right, right after this, they can go check you out, follow you, all that good stuff. Yeah, it's a very original at Cole Zwicker, my full name on Twitter, and then at the Stepian, we have new draft content out now, multiple times a day. I am on the Game Theory podcast pretty consistently with Sam Vecini. So if you want to hear a lot of disagreement about the draft, especially tomorrow, I will be doing one about his top ten big boards. So if you can tune in for that, and it's a very good podcast. I think we we've all listened to it in preparation for this show. So check that out. Okay, so. Um, we're gonna we're gonna kind of go through some of the Heat's prospects, some of the some of the people that the Heat are looking at seriously and that have workouts and all that stuff. Um, if you have been listening to this podcast for any period of time, you know that I don't like the draft. I don't watch college basketball. I hate prospects. I just want to talk about the Raptors and the Heat. Um, but we're gonna we're gonna they are bringing you the information that the public desires with uh, Cole, Nikias, Brian, and Leif. Um, I also do want to mention that we're part of the Five Reasons Sports Network brought to you by Ethan Skolnick. You can check out all our family of shows on the network from three yards per carry to Cinco Razones with baseball season going on. So check out all our local content at Five Reasons on Twitter and at FiveReasonsSports.com for articles about the draft. Leif and Nikaias have written a bunch about it. Uh, Ethan, longtime journalist down here in Miami, has written a bunch. So check all our content out over there. 
All right, gentlemen. So I think the first one I want to start with, um, and in the last um, game theory that I listened to where uh, where Sam and Cole kind of went through the prospects, they had um, Kevin Porter Jr. going to Miami uh, at 13th. And uh, I kind of want to know, like, do you, do you like that pick for Miami? How do you, how do you feel about that, Cole? Like, what's what's going on there? I mean, he's the ultimate wild card. By the way, Sam made that pick. So if any listener Sam doesn't like that it, pick, you can yes. hated him. <laughs> um, so I don't really know what to do with Kevin Porter Jr. Obviously really talented. If you watch his highlight reel on YouTube, you'll think he's a top five pick in the class. Just with his shake, his individual shot creation moves. But all he did last year was really step back threes. He has functional athleticism, but he doesn't utilize it all the time. So he can get to the rim. He's got a ton, ton of combination moves. But right now, like, USC was a train wreck, by the way. So contact's very important here. Played a lot of off the ball. Played in his own defense. It makes it tough. Um, it's going to come down to mentality, how much you really buy his work ethic and his intelligence improving. Miami's obviously a good developmental um, culture for him. For me personally, I think it's a little high just because I do think he's more flash than substance right now. And I don't really buy how he fits into a five and a five game currently. Oh, are you concerned at all by him not getting an invite to the green room? A little bit. I think that's rep- reflective of some of the intel that's come out. Uh, not a bad kid. I, I don't want to spread that because some people say that. And then he's not. He's from actually about 40 minutes from where I live at Rainier Beach. Uh, but we don't. People don't know how much he loves basketball. There's been some of that talk. He's not like an insane worker. When you look at his skill set, there's a lot of avenues, a lot of skills that he has to iron out. And I'm not sure if teams are super comfortable with him there. Is it kind of like Hassan Whiteside when he came out of the draft when he was asked, what do you have to work on? And he said nothing. Are we like, is it that level of, of work ethic or Michael Beasley? <laughs> No, it's not that level. I mean, he. I think he has some self-awareness as far as his skills. It's more like, does he really – is he going to put in the R.J. Barrett-esque work ethic, just be in the gym every day? I'm not sure if he has that reputation. I don't know, Leif. I know that you're kind of the heat historian. Like, I, I feel like it kind of goes both ways with them, right? So Dion like, does it for a year, and then he doesn't do it for, like, two years, right? And then Hassan, kind of the same thing. So it's a little bit back and forth with kind of culture and work ethic and all that. Yeah, I mean, you guys know that I am a proponent of the Kevin Porter pick because of upside, and I feel like the Heat need to uh, address and take a shot at somebody that has the ability to possibly be a star or at least an elite score because that's something that they lack. And I like the idea of them getting their um, influence and hands and 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 kind of mentoring Kevin Porter from the get-go. You know, the Dion's and the Hassan's that they've taken on uh, didn't – Start in Miami, and um, I kind of feel like as a young player, if he starts there, they have a better opportunity to maximize him. So that that's just where, from an upside perspective, which is where I think the Heat need to be leaning. Uh, that's where it makes a lot of sense from my perspective. Oh, I guess my thing where I kind of question Kevin Porter Jr. for the Heat is that I feel like his archetype is valuable. Miami, the one thing they're missing is a elite shot creator. And he, and as Cole said, he's shown those flashes, has that shake, has the handle, has step back in his bag, even if he goes to it a little too often. But he, as Cole also said, he has some things to iron out. And I'm just kind of curious as to what his actual upside is, because if his upside isn't star and it's more fringe all-star or just a very good starter, then I'm just not sure if he's worth that kind of upside play if the upside really isn't that high. And you look at guys who are better right now, like a Brandon Clark. Or even if you want to look for a more ideal fit alongside Bam out of Bayern, like a guy like P.J. Washington, I guess I just want to know, is the upside play really that much worth it with his low floor? Yeah, I mean, that's a great question because we haven't seen him in high-leverage situations. So it would be nice if USC let him run pick and roll as the initiator consistently. But he was playing off Derek Thornton. And if you play off Derek Thornton, you never get the basketball. So (laughs) tough stuff for him. But I I don't know if I see that elite-level upside. I don't think his handle – it's very good as far as creating separation because his step-back move is pretty good. But it's not the tightest handle. Again – you see guys, how guys are wired and someone that athletic should go to the rim more. Uh, he had open driving lanes and he would just settle for these step back jumpers and he doesn't have the best mechanical release. It's very low. He has a very right oriented shot line. So he brings the ball over and like snaps it across his face. It's a lower release point. It's not like he has great shooting indicators. I think he was like 
I want to say he was like 60% from the line. He might have been lower than that. So it's not like he's a dynamic shot maker. He might be like a shot creator, like a shot maker, but not a real shooter. So there's a lot of variables at play. I don't know if a team's ever going to trust him to run an offense. A lot of people are going to say, oh, James Harden upside because he's left-handed. Uh, I do not see that. I was going to ask, like, what would be your biggest confirm right now based on what we have seen, um, I know, since high school? I know he had a big performance against Team USA that kind of got him viral um, leading up to USC. I mean, what, what do you see him as a comp today, as of today, and what do you project in five years from now? Yeah, that's really tough. Uh, I think the easy one, the kind of one-on-one game would be someone like Nick Young as a prospect, and that's going to turn a lot of people <laughs> off, right? Um, so you just got I, I a get... side-eye roll from the Caius. <laughs> <laughs> I'm down for Nick Young. I'll tell you. That'll be fun. It's one of the range of outcomes. I'm not sure. Like, I don't know if we've seen a player exactly like him. And again, we haven't seen enough of how far his game expands. Like, I'd be able to tell you more about his feel and like his general abilities if he was in like Oklahoma last year with Trey Young. If he was like running a pick and roll offense like that, it'd be a lot easier to suss this stuff out. I don't know, guys. I kind of feel like. Miami doesn't want to do that again. I, I feel like they're going to want to bring in a guy, even if they bring in a project, a project that's willing to work. I kind of think that they've, they already went through their phase of like getting the player that they have to like really get to work with Dion and Hassan and all that stuff. So I don't know, like I, I've kind of looked at them as a team ready to move on from that and get guys like Winslow, like Josh, like bam, who are just like, they're come in and they're ready to work. They're workhorses. That's, I think that's kind of what they're going for. That sounds just like PJ Washington. <laughs> Which is our next one. Uh, Cole, can you tell us about P.J. Washington? Yeah, he's basically that very self-aware player. Um, really improved from his freshman to sophomore year. That's why I ended up liking him a lot more. I have him I, in like the 10 range on my board. I think that he's just really solid. He's a, he's a great kid. He, again, is self-aware. That's really important playing a role. But his shooting really skyrocketed this year as far as catch and shoot threes. He really got that shot down. He's got great touch, so you can kind of project that a little bit. His passing is really underrated. So he's a guy that can operate in the short role. So if he's playing off a, a dynamic lead guard, Miami doesn't really have that right now. So, I mean, eventually he can do that and like diversify his game. But he's someone where you look at some of these guys like Brandon Clark that we'll talk about. It's hard, harder for teams to kind of think out an offensive role with PJ. I think he's going to be able to shoot at least corner threes right away. Do you look at him as more as a three or a four in the NBA? I think definitely four. And that's when his skill set is best. He can attack a closeout, make a pass on the move as a three. You don't really want him chasing around wings. Like he has some lateral agility. I think he's kind of overrated in that capacity. He's better just straight line speed fast. He has the length, but I, I definitely think you want his skill set at the, at the four. And then sometimes at the small ball five. What we hear a lot is that uh, some Heat fans don't like that pick because they think that it lacks upside. Can you talk a little bit about P.J. Washington's upside and what you see? Like, um, I mean, from my perspective, he's only 20 years old. He's got to have some upside, right? Um, But I'd love to hear your perspective on that. Yeah, I mean, I think we've already seen that manifest on the floor a little bit as far as his improvement from year one to year two. We actually got to see that tangibly at Kentucky and him actually work on his game. So he's a worker. I think he's going to get the most out of what he has. I don't know what people's conceptions of upside are. You see a lot of people that just say, you're 18 years old, you're athletic, and it might not even be functional, and you have you have upside. That doesn't really mean anything to me. It's like, can you fill a role? Do you have upside in that role? Is PJ going to like bring the ball up the court, like cross you over twice, and then dunk in like a, a point guard fashion? No, he's not going to do that. But I think there is upside to the way that he can fill a role that's valuable. Do you guys like him next to Bam? I guess that's a big question when you look at power. I don't know forward. if I like him, but I know that he probably do. And I know Leif, you've noted since the beginning of this whole draft pre-draft process that the Heat have kind of targeted from the beginning, along with Clark. He was the first name that I heard that they were highly interested in, and it hasn't gone away. So I mean, I'm expecting him to be highly looked at at that spot. Uh, similar to how we we heard about Bam right at the beginning of the process last year. Then it got really, really quiet, almost to the point we forgot about him. And then, you know, we were surprised on draft night, but we'll be less surprised this year. Leif, uh, could you, for listeners who haven't probably listened to our last podcast, could you throw out the tidbit that we heard that he's been, I think he's been training with one of Wade's trainers, right? Yeah, so I guess he's been uh, working with Dwayne Wade's trainer. Um, They have uh, 
he came in for a workout um, in Miami, really impressed there. It was his first workout. Uh, so, um, you know, there's just, there's little connections here and there. There's a Kentucky con- connection that the Heat have consistently been making and scouting their players. So I think that there's, uh, there's definitely some smoke there. Does it concern you guys that they have like a million power forwards and like they already have the perfect guy next to Bam and Kelly? I guess that's like when I, look at, when I look at fours, especially like if they can't move Hassan, right? So like they have this like monster jam up front, right? And like knowing Spolster and how he plays, like James Johnson is going to be a guy he constantly goes to, especially if they move Dion and they don't have another ball handler, they really depend on James Johnson. They really need Kelly and all that little dribble handoff nonsense that they run. So they're trading all those guys. We don't need to even worry about roster but, construction. We just want to hear about the prospects, G. I'm just asking, but that fits into that fits into what they're gonna do. Like I, I don't want them to draft a guy that's not gonna play or that's not gonna play enough. Um, I don't know. That's always my concern with them because they have a lot of competent guys, but like. How how do they fit in to what the Heat want to do? Um, Nikai, prove Gianni wrong real quick. On what exactly? His, his, his whole his stance of, of us picking a four that we don't even have one on the team, a we natural many, four. They have too many dead power forwards. <laughs> I mean, no, we don't. Name one. <laughs> don't say James Johnson because James Johnson is not a four. I mean, they play him at four all the time. Doesn't mean he's a four. I mean, I think JJ is very, very solidly a four at this point. But um, I think like we saw with Bam last year, he kind of filled in some minutes. He played his way into the rotation. I think you see a similar thing with PJ, probably even more so because he's going to come in with the shooting. And Eric Spolster definitely loves um, a front court player that can shoot. He's going to try to mix and match some guys there. I think if they do go PJ Washington with the pig, he'll carve out 13, 16 minutes for him. All right. So I, I do want to get to uh, I do want to get to Cole's boy, Brandon Clark. I know that you're a big Brandon Clark guy. Uh yeah, it's basically like a Brandon Clark bust. <laughs> <laughs> how do, how do you like that for Miami though? How do you like that fit for Miami and for Spolstra and like all that they do? I think it's a similar issue that we just talked about with PJ as far as you know it probably being a position of strength on the roster. So does he get minutes right away? Can he play at that position? Because he's definitely like a four. You're never going to start him at the five. That's something that people got to get over is he's more of a starting four. He can play some small ball five. So in certain lineups in the regular season and maybe in the playoffs, if you if you downscale. So for me, I just look at the upside and it comes on defense. He's one of the best defensive players in the class as far as his backline defense, his ability to make rotations. He can actually defend in a man scheme. So Miami cannot run zone all the time. Like he's <laughs> going to be able to do that. Um, I really love his instincts. He's just really cerebral. He's obviously older. He's going to be 23 on the night of the draft, but his offense is kind of underrated too, as far as functionally. He's not just a dunker spot guy. Like he can attack off your face up situations. He's got incredible touch. Like he finishes everything, not just at the rim, he gets all the Jordan Bell comparisons. Jordan Bell can't score from outside of the proximity of the hoop and Clark can do that. So <laughs> in, in time, like <laughs> I think he'd be able to shoot with this touch. Cause I think catch and shoot three point shooting. We just saw that with PJ Washington. It, it happens. That's one of the easiest skills to develop. So that means he fits in a more versatile amount of laps, but I'm very, very high on his defense. Let me tell you, like, I don't think, like, nationally people talk enough about, I mean, Justice Winslow came into the to the league not being able to, like, really shoot worth a lick. And right now he's been Miami's best three-point shooter by percentage, and his volume is increasing every year. So the staff there is clearly doing something well. Um, So I, I kind of like the idea of, of guys who you're not really sure about shooting-wise but have potential that Miami can really help them. Uh, guys, I see you shaking your head. Oh, no, no, no. I, I agree with just about everything Cole said. Um, I am excited about – I don't think the Heat are going to take um, Brandon Clark, so I feel like Heat Twitter can kind of chill on that. Is he not, why? Is he going to go too early? Or? If Minnesota is smart, they'll take him at 11. But I think I, it's Minnesota. Oh, but they have a new general manager now. Yeah, but, I mean, he seems like he knows what he's doing. He's pretty progressive. So, hopefully they – well, not hopefully. I want him to fall. <laughs> but, like, if he, if he does it, like Minnesota – I was going to say, that sounds like a perfect pairing for Cat. <laughs> Yeah, he he would be fantastic. Um, but in the event that the Heat kind of surprise everyone and take Clark there, I love the potential of him and Bam. I think since Miami's kind of missing that shot creator, there needs to be like an emphasis on smart ball movers. And I think Brandon Clark has the IQ, the ball skills to kind of operate in the short roll situations. Um, great screener, has great touch, can finish in the intermediate levels. Defenses play a lot of drop coverage against Miami since they don't have pull-up shooting threats like that. 
So having a guy that can kind of um, thrive in that 10 to 12 foot range is needed right now since they don't have um, a Jimmy Butler cough, cough or whatever. <laughs> but um, yeah, I think the defensive upside is terrifying. I think he'll be able to knock down, catch and shoot threes at some point. Um, he's already a high IQ guy, can attack closeouts, freak athlete. I love Brandon Clark. I just I mean, you sound uh, like you're very into Brandon Clark. Yeah, he he's he's very good at basketball. I'll is that, that the guy that you like the most in the draft for for, for the Heat, Nikaias? Yeah, I, I think he's going to be best player available at 13. Leif, you see you see you smiling over there. He definitely would be the most ready to contribute, I'd say. And um, I, I know Spo loves the positionless switch, everything kind of stuff, and and that plays into that as well. And they love their defenders, and they can teach guys to hit corner threes. So um, I understand it. It's just, you know, from my perspective, as I've gone into this, I've said, you know, I, I, I'm, I want the highest upside guy, even if it's a swing and a miss, and that may be irrational or irresponsible of me, but that's kind of, you know, the way I'm looking at it is I want a guy who has, uh, you know, as much upside as possible. Now, Sear Little is another guy that I like. Honestly, he has just as much upside uh, in a lot of ways as a, you know, a you know, a two-way wing um, in, you know, really high upside like Kevin Porter, you know, conceivably could. Okay, well, we, we can we can get right into Nasir Little, um, 19 years old, 7'2", uh, small forward. Um, Cole, what do you got for us on? on he's not here? a 7'2", small forward. He has a 7'2", <laughs> wingspan. He's 6'7". Oh, I, meant, I read Google wrong, man. Just leave me alone. I don't even like the draft. I try to move the damn show along. Fantastic content. Cole, you're still with us. Not for long. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Cole just hung up on us. So now after that Brandon Clark spiel. So, Nikias, you, you can just fill in for me from now on, man. Hey, man. Just call me up. I'm ready. There you go. Um, so, Sear Little, someone who I loved coming into the college season. His AAU tape was awesome. More fluid athlete. Uh, shoot off the dribble for a wing. A lot of us are thinking, you know, you never think Kawhi Leonard. Like, if anybody's going to be that guy, it's going to be this guy. Like, just call everyone. I've heard the Kawhi comp like for like five different players, two of which are on the Heat now. Yeah, it's it's usually ridiculous. Like Justice Winslow couldn't shoot off a dribble at all. Exactly. You can rule them out. Like Mikhail Bridges is like half the size of Kawhi. So normally you can just rule it out with physical tools. But this guy was like he actually has them. And then he played North Carolina and realized that he doesn't really know how to play basketball and just trying to be as blunt as possible. And it's unfortunate. He's a great kid. Like my favorite kid in the class as far as character. He's going to work himself up in the draft process because of that. He really just has to win as a shot maker. And I do think he's a better shooter than he got to show. Um, he tweaked his mechanics at North Carolina, came off the side of his head instead of more fluidly in front of his face, high release at lower levels. I think that will change. I'm just worried about two things. The first is like the athleticism. He really is not coordinated now as far as what he used to be. He added a lot of strength after the all-star circuit last year, and it really impacted his mobility. On drives, you could see it straight line. He couldn't navigate agility-wise. Defensively, as far as lateral quickness, it hurt him. If he can get back to that spot, I think that definitely improves his stock. The second, of course, is just the general feel. And you can see it on both sides of the floor. Doesn't make the right play. Not a good passer. He's not an intuitive player as a team defender. Uh, I get the conceptual idea of him in the, in the draft. is like this two-way wing who can switch, shoot threes. I don't know if that normally ends up the same way that people think it in theory, as far as value, you got to know how to play and have a sense of feel to a certain extent. If you're just shooting threes, you're messing up as far as lapsing off the ball defensively. If you're not making quick decisions, I, I don't think you have actually a lot of upside. Yeah, that's pretty good. I, I know I've, I listened to the podcast and, and with you and Sam and you guys told basically that he's probably one of the worst off ball defenders in his class. Is that true? Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't say the worst is, as far as recognition and timing and all that, yes. But he's so athletic that he can still compensate for some of it, like some guys can't do. So he's not the worst for me. But, yeah, as far as off-ball feel, it's not very good. How teachable is that, in your opinion? Because I feel like we have a lot of, converse, a lot of conversations on Twitter, at least, where it's just like, oh, the guy can't play defense. It's like, oh, well, it's all about effort. So all you got to do is put him in a good program, and he'll be a fine defender. I just, I just don't think that's true for everyone. Hey, he taught Gerald Green how to play defense. I feel like we can teach anybody. <laughs> Gerald Green was fine on the ball, and there was a total train wreck off the ball. And then you, you've seen that in Houston. So I don't. <laughs> what's what's Goron's excuse? He's just slow. 
he, he tries. So there just isn't much he can do. But yeah, Cole, can you talk a little bit about um, off-ball field and just how developmental that is? I mean, I view basketball as like a game of decisions and like reactions. I don't know how much those better over time. Like, yes, Nasir Little will make probably better decisions if you give him the same read over and over again. Like, I think he'll, he'll better that, right? But can you make a read on the fly in the playoffs, for example? Can you judge the right angle? So I think that from a basketball intelligence standpoint, I tend to be more skeptical. Like Jalen Brown can get away with it at times. He's not a very intuitive player overall, but he's just so effing athletic. Like he's like 95th percentile, at least NBA athlete. So he can compensate. So you don't see all of that, you know, play out. You could compensate too by running more of a switching scheme, um, but you still have to recognize when to switch and like when to get out. You can't lapse and then get hit with like a, a down screen or something like that. So I, I tend to think that when you're working from such a point where it's very evident that you don't have good feel, I think it's hard to get even to the level of average feel. I kind of want to piggyback on what Cole said, because we have a really recent example about like how that comes into play. And you have the Raptors. And I talked a little bit about this last show, how the Raptors were switching off certain off ball matchups and certain off ball screens but not others, and you're going to really, like, and the Raptors are obviously full of really smart players, Gasol, Lowry, you know, Leonard, like, they're just all savants, right? So you have these guys that can recognize these certain very specific coverages and while not getting confused of we're not switching everything, and that kind of plays into what Cole's saying about kind of having a feel, and I feel like that's not necessarily teachable, like, that's just, like, basketball IQ and chops and stuff like that, so I'm kind of, I'm kind of with Cole not really a big fan of, of these, of, of getting guys who just don't have a like defensive feel or for the game or whatever. If that's the case, why do I what? Why do you love Rui? We know why. Because he likes anime. That's fun. He looks like a fun player. I just want to interview him. I'm selfish. I just want to talk to him. I just want him in Miami. <laughs> you can still so we... talk to him. Huh? He just doesn't have to play for the Heat. You can I mean, still talk I to him. I want to talk to him. I want to have <laughs> frequent access to Rui. I want to pick his brain Why? about stuff. Because you, you want to see Stop him shaming me. I, why do we not shame me for misreading Nasir Little's wingspan? Cole, how many podcasts have you done today? This is number four. I how about, oh, how about during this week? How many podcasts have you done this week? Because it's probably an incredibly busy time for you. Yeah, I think we're probably up over like 11 or 12 or something. I'm just going to wane down a little bit tomorrow. I think tomorrow's like four more, and then the day of the draft is one radio hit, and then I'm done. Actually, I'm not, I'm not done. And then I have two or three on Friday. How many hosts <laughs> have, uh, have misread the internet uh, to you directly during this, uh, during this world tour of podcasts? Yeah, I just kind of tuned some of it out. I, I don't, I don't <laughs> but, blame you, man. Let me tell you something. I mean, you're at, we're at the end of the day. For those who don't know, it's 10.30 Eastern time right now. I'm misreading Google. Poor Cole's giving us his time. He's the best, man. You're so <laughs> awesome. Thank you so much. Um, Okay, so I do want to get to uh, – we're talking a little bit more of a project. Um, Seiku. Seiku, I know, is, is a bit it, – it, it's, it's more of a, a project than a, than a ready guy. So what can you tell us about him? You mean Pascal Siakam? Yeah. <laughs> Man, I can, I can only hope. Yeah, so another guy who has a pretty damn good motor, and that's where you see the Siakam comparison, some of the transition handling. He's far away as far as a lot of his technical abilities. He's terrible defensively as far as closeouts. I tend to think that's the stuff that improves the most. If you get that guy, you know, in, in a film room, you can kind of teach a guy how to close out with relative ease, but it's just really far away as far as him putting it together that way. A lot of predetermined reads offensively as far as like throwing the ball just to the, the drop-off man in, in pick and roll, for example, in a big space, just, just throwing it there. He doesn't even look to see if it's available at times. It's just, it's going to be a process with him. I do think the shot is underrated. Like he's actually a pretty good shooter. He has touch. I think he's going to hit shots off the catch. He just shoots a moon ball. So that turns a lot of people off immediately at times. But I do think in time, he's going to be able to shoot. My biggest issue with him is his handling ability. If you're like looking for this Siakam type of player, like Siakam's really like he's creative with the ball. He's got great control. He can really bend as far as attacking guys one-on-one and then extend. Like, Seku is more of a transition ball handler. Like, you see the big space stuff, but when you actually break down his tape, uh, there's not a lot of half-court creation going down. It's more of, like, an Aminu type of player where if he's not hitting threes, which I think he's going to be a better shooter than Aminu, uh, I don't know what his, I guess, creation equity is. The Aminu comp kind of scares me. 
I'm not going to lie. <laughs> well, he's also the youngest player in the, in the draft, so you also have to give him that years too. Old, yeah, but I mean, yeah, we just saw Aminu uh, essentially play the Blazers out of that Warrior series because the Warriors just decided, you know what, Aminu, we don't need to guard you. These are young dudes, man. We can't speak in absolutes about any of them. I, I kind of like the idea. So I, I might be alone on this, but I actually kind of really like the idea of Miami kind of taking on something like this because we've seen them have a lot of success with that, right? They've, I mean, look at their look at their D League history of just finding guys, Tyler Johnson, I mean, even from before, Udonis Haslam, Rabadi Magruder, all that stuff. And I kind of feel like we haven't really identified what the hell Miami's goal is this draft. I, I don't, I think we all know that they're not, they're probably not going to find, I mean, their biggest need, which is an elite wing score. But I do think that they could probably get a really, really good player who can contribute uh, so that they can lay the groundwork for a free agent either this year or when they come into to more cap space. So I like the idea of taking on a more long-term project like like Seku. I don't know how you guys, Nikaias or Leif, I don't know how either of you feel about that. I don't Nikaias think... has a nugget. Oh, we got nuggets? Wait, <laughs> or not Nikaias, Leif. Leif has a nugget. Oh, Leif. I was like, right. I was like a, a rare Nikaias nugget. Oh. I, I don't know if it's a nugget. I mean, I just know that the Heat really liked him and they um they met with him recently. Uh, he wasn't initially expected to work out. Uh, and meet with Miami, um, but they ended up bringing him down. Um, so that was a little unexpected because, uh, you know, the, all, inten- all intents and purposes, he's been, you know, mocked in the top 10 in most, you know, mock drafts that I've seen. So I thought it was a little below his range. So I know that they really like him, and he, he would like the situation in Miami and the developmental program there. So he was open to the possibility of, of of that so you know i found that to be interesting because i think he is another worthy project and a guy that uh i would actually have ranked higher on my board uh than you know the kevin porter jr and pj washington's that we've talked about previously as the people will think uh you know they, they are going to be closer to our range cole like i kind of want to ask like i know that us over here down in miami we have like kind of this propagated um ingestion of heat culture and like the heat development like what's what's Miami's reputation like around the league and like even in draft circles in terms of player development it's actually pretty strong honestly like when you speak about culture I mean obviously it comes down to like they love frames and you you get like these wide (laughs) bodies and they can improve guys over time but I think overall the culture there I think you have to have a specific mentality that they they're always looking for kind of workers guys that are willing to put in the time you can probably take constructive criticism and be able to improve I don't know too much about Seku's personality that way he seems like that is in his wheelhouse as far as being able to accept criticism and improve so he he does have good character so I think he would appeal to a ecosystem like Keats would this be the first foreign player that Miami drafts Leif? No, I know. No, that there was Sasha Danilovich, Martin Murasep, and then they uh, took a long, 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 long break. <laughs> long. Well, I mean, for like for the most part, they typically don't even sign like a lot of foreigners in free agency. I mean, like Yokobo Diawara and Goran, they traded. For yeah, where, where they were ahead of the curve when it came to the D League and the G League and kind of building that way, they were certainly behind the curve when it came to international scouting. Um, but so, you know, maybe, uh, maybe we come they've around. definitely taken a look at this guy. Um, I know we only have a, f- a few more, but we got to get to uh, our guy, Jack Alfonso, trash sweeter on the program, was on last show. Shout out to Jack. Um, Langford. Romeo Langford. Um, that's a that's a guy that he's been he's been pounding the drum for here on on Miami Heat Beat, and you can follow us at Mi Heat Beat on Twitter if you don't already. Um, Cole, what do you got for us on Romeo Langford? Yeah, another kind. I don't wouldn't say high variance necessarily, but a lot of it is based on the shooting. You're going to hear about the 27 percent from three, the injury to his hand. Mechanically, there are some issues as far as delivery consistency. Kills his wrist back really far. There's a ton of tension in his shot. You see some really poor misses even when he's wide open. Uh, so I, I think the shooting is a real issue, but he has touch. This is kind of one of these interesting experiments for me over time is seeing how this guy can improve his mechanics because I think the touch foundation is there for him to shoot. I don't think he's the caliber of athlete that he gets credit for. And like as a pre-college prospect, he came in like this is the number five guy in ESPN's big board. Like he's this wing scorer. You know, he's not that 
explosive. He's not that explosive in and out of his moves. He doesn't have a ton of shake. He's more of like a shot maker right now than like a real shooter. He has great touch when he can get into the lane, but you see him engage in contact really far out on the perimeter because he's not beating guys cleanly one-on-one. He's not beating guys cleanly in pick and roll. He has to rely so much on his frame and his strength to really go over the top and finish with touch. Normally that doesn't translate as well. And that was even the case in high school. Like you didn't see him with the same caliber of athleticism, just blowing by guys. The concentration level on defense is an issue. I think that's going to improve in time. He's a pretty smart kid, but he is used to being the star. And you didn't see him do star level role player stuff at Indiana. He, he played more like he was a high pedigree guy. He didn't move and relocate off the ball. He didn't add a lot of that little value to the game that, you know, some guys do, of course, like nobody's Zion. Zion does this, but he's not the kind of player that if he does, if he fails as a star and like this wing creator, I don't know if he's willing to just play a role on a, on a good team. The guys, I know that you're not too high on him. Uh, I don't mind him. I just don't know how the shot translate. And if the shot doesn't translate, I'm just not sure how he fits alongside Justice and Jay Rich. Because I think ideally you're going to move Justice to full-time point guard because, good Lord, why is he not already? So you're going to need some guys that can kind of space the floor for him or at least move off ball to kind of occupy the defense so he can get downhill. And if Romeo isn't shooting, then I'm just not sure what that fit really is. I'm kind of at the point that if they're not going to draft a guy that they're like going to really commit like a lot of years. So like, you know, like, like, like a project, like they or whatever, like the guy just, whoever they get has to be a plus shooter. Cause like, that's probably what they're missing the most. They, they don't have that. Right. Like and you're depending on Kelly and, and Josh and, and justice and justice has the balls. Like and the, a lot of guys on, on the, on the court are non shooters, especially if Bam's not comfortable shooting that yet, or doesn't have that range yet. So like, if they're not, getting a guy who could shoot, especially um, at a guard or wing position, then I, I have no idea what they're doing. Like if they Maybe they should take that Kentucky guard. Which one? The one that can shoot. <laughs> Very specific. I mean, come on, Leif. You Tyler don't know any of these people. Tyler Hero, Gianni. I mean, come on. <laughs> you think I know that? Cole, I mean, come on. I, I was misreading Nasir Little's damn Wikipedia. You think I know who the hell Hero is? Trying I'm saying Hero. Okay, you, you know, I remember, you know, Cole, I'm going to tell uh, I'm going to tell you a story, Brian. I don't think you can you can even produce the sound right now, but uh Cole during last year's draft, and this is a running joke on our podcast, um the Heat picked Adebayo. I think also at 13th, right? Whatever. Yes. Um and when Bam got drafted, Nikias was complaining. Half our staff was up in arms like how the hell could they draft this guy? And then 6 months later, they're all in love with Bam. And we think he's awesome. Woj is reporting to here selecting OG Anunobi. No, no, Bam on the bio. I lied. Oh, my. They took Bam? Yo. What are we doing? Oh twice? Who is this? Twice in one show? Ba- are you kidding? What are he doing? Who is that? <laughs> he just said that, that, that they're going to draft OG. Oh, no. No, we won't. Oh, no, we don't. They're drafting Bam on the bio? What is? What? What? what happened? I read it. You got to be freaking oh, kidding me. Oh. Look, man, when at the time of the pick, I felt like Bam was just going to be your typical rim runner, um, rim runner, rim protector. And I was like, he's fine. But like, I was kind of banging the drum on Harry Giles or OG. How'd that turn out? Well, OG's good. But... I mean, OG's good when he isn't hurt. And Harry Giles is it's... a fantastic passer, a rim runner. I've kind of, I need to see more defense, but I think he's going to be pretty darn good. Okay. Yeah, I think that was the same with us. I mean, with Bam, you didn't see a lot of the grab-and-go ability at Kentucky. Those guys aren't allowed to really push the limits of their skill capabilities. We've seen that with Devin Booker, most notably as well. So we were all surprised. Like, even the guys that, that watched him in college are like, uh, we didn't know he could do this. Like, it was pretty impressive right away at Summer League. So it ended up being a really good pick. He's he's awesome. But I guess I guess my point is, like, the the exercise that, that – like, not us because we're not experts like you, but the exercise that we conduct, um, especially like on the lower levels of draft analysis is like almost silly. Like, especially when guys like you and, and Sam are putting in like so many hours, like reading, like talking to people and stuff like that. It's, it's incredibly funny how I find how, how most of the sport covers the draft. Um, is 13 too high for Tyler Harrow? I was gonna, I was about to shift gears. We have two left. We have uh Keldon Johnson and we have Tyler Harrow. I don't want to do another Tyler on the heat, but I, I you know, that, that may be, <laughs> that may be where we go. So can you tell us a little bit about Tyler? 
Uh, Cole. Yeah, I mean, he's one of the best shooters in the class. He's gotten incredible touch. That's one thing you notice with him is over 90% from the line. You know, floaters can shoot off the catch. Uh, not as dynamic of a movement shooter yet. He's not Cameron Johnson out of North Carolina quite yet, but I trust him to get there. More dynamic off the bounce. I think his skill level and his IQ is underrated. He can make a play secondarily. Um, he's not dynamic as far as explosiveness at the rim, but he can definitely get open, relocate, you know, hit a gap and make, make a read, make a, a floating shot. So I, I have him generally in this range just because I do feel like he's going to be able to shoot the ball at a high level eventually. Um, you're more concerned about the defensive end, you know, 6'6", six, six, minus three wingspan at 6'3". You can see that play out on the floor as far as even when he contains guys and he really tries, uh, he just can't contest shots. And he can't really mirror very well in space. So I look at him and I say, like, who is he really going to guard? And you really have to get it back on the other end. That concerns me. Like, and and that doesn't like. And I know that the, the shooting helps, but that does not sound like a Miami Heat player at all. Keldon Johnson a little bit more. Um, so though I would say I think his skill set. You know, they're looking for a six six wing, um, guard type player. I think he you know could be more of a fit. What do you think about him, Cole? Yeah. So I I think the idea of Keldon Johnson is better than the reality. I get it. Like two way wing tough guy a pretty good athlete can shoot a little bit he's just not really good at any one thing um he isn't a great passer he's not like a great ball handler you're not going to throw him the ball and get him a, and he's going to get you a bucket efficiently he doesn't have a great first step uh but he is physical he's going to allure he's going to be more impressive to teams than he is for me just because he is he's great character and he has that miami heat like cultural toughness like he's definitely the embodiment of that in this range but from a skill set perspective unless he's like a, a nuclear shooter and I don't think he's that good he, I think he, DeAndre Hunter is what many people think he is and, and being more of a low kind of you know starting caliber player Hunter's a much better on-ball defensive player as far as his length and agility Keldon tries really hard but he's not like a crazy athlete but the guy's a gamer like if you watch the Duke game earlier this season. He was the only guy from Kentucky that looked like he belonged on the floor. I just don't know really what his NBA plus value is. To me, he's just kind of average at everything. <laughs> that sounds like the Heat roster right now, if you ask me. <laughs> sounds like he'll fit right in. Um, so, hold on. I got another guy that we got to fit in, um, and I don't think you've been asked about him on any of the other podcasts you've been on all week, but what can you tell us about Max Struth from DePaul? He's an excellent off-movement shooter. Um, he's got a great build. <laughs> can come off floppy set. He's not going to guard Curveball right there. Huh? The, guy, the guy is absolutely like one of the most confident players I've ever seen for his, I guess, level of ability. It's pretty nuts. <laughs> I got another one. I got another name. I got another name. How about Boston College's guard, Kai Bowman? Really athletic, uh, not a real point guard, more of a combo, got great burst. You'll see him with some highlight dunks. So he has that effect. I, I don't really buy his functional athleticism. He's not going to initiate your offense and make pick and roll reads, but he can play in transition. He's like more of a half-court off-ball guard. I don't know if he's good enough defensively, but definitely a dynamic athlete intersection with, I think he's a real shooter. Uh, maybe a little bit of a streak shooter, but he can get, definitely get to his pull-up. You're so good at this. Do you, okay, I, do you, is there is there anybody from FIU that declared for the draft? Do you know anything about FIU no. players? I'm trying to stump you. All right, now you're pushing it now. <laughs> right. Golden Panthers, man. Um, no, Paul, the, the Heat did go and watch Kai Bowman multiple times work out. Um, so I, I know that they've uh, had their eye on him throughout this entire process. So thank you for the nuggets there. Yeah, and same with Struis, too. Uh, those are two guys. Yeah, those are two guys we think they might target if they do end up getting a second-round pick or to go the undrafted route and try to bring someone on a two-way contract. You know, you guys could have made up a bunch of names and I wouldn't have known better. Um, <laughs> do, you guys, do you guys have anything else for Cole so that uh, we, he can uh, – Cole, are you done for the night? Oh, please talk about Rui so we can shut all of okay, this Okay, no, uh, no, Cole, no, tell, tell me why Rui is a good or a bad idea. Then, you know, we, you can, you, <laughs> we'll let you go on that note. <laughs> I mean – the frame is awesome. I get the conceptual idea of him. He's kind of a mismatch guy on offense. He can run through smaller players, getting to the rim. He's got pull-up ability in the mid-range, good touch. He can also, I think at time he'll be able to shoot a catch-and-shoot three, but a very flat shot right now. This is kind of the Nasir Little problem, except for Rui's not as 
good of an athlete. It's like he doesn't know how to play basketball. And like it's been – he's his third year in Gonzaga. That's a very good developmental system. It's one of the best in the country. You still see him lapsing too much off-ball defensively, making decisions. I've seen him like crash into the lane and there'll be four bodies around him and there's easy kick-out reads and he's just crashing right through guys. That's like – that's what he does consistently. And You haven't really seen enough improvement. I know some guys, very good kid, very high character. I think he's going to appeal to Miami, again, because of the frame and – the work ethic. I think there's been some language issues in the past and he's working to overcome those. So people think he could get a little bit more comfortable in like American culture and, and learn a little bit faster now that he's picked up on more of the assimilation there. So do you know I, how I long really he's been in the country Good. for? I think four years. I, I can't say for sure. That's a better question for Vicini because he knows him like personally. <laughs> oh, I mean, and I know that the, the jump from Japanese to English is, is rather difficult. It's, it's, it's very, very, yes. very difficult. Um, Anything else for Cole before we let him go? I mean, Cole, dude, you, we appreciate the time, man. Yeah, I, I think the only thing I would say about Rui is like, I know we've heard that, or I guess there was rumors that maybe he might have gotten a promise from one of the lower teams. In the, that in Minnesota the lottery. was the one, wasn't it? We, we, it, I mean, that's the that's speculation. Assumed, but yeah. What do you think about that, that? Prom, promise in Minnesota? For, for well, Rui? the thing is, like, he ha- we haven't really heard any workouts from him, right? Cool. I don't think so. I think that the common consensus right now is it is Minnesota at 11. Nobody really knows for sure. People think it's definitely a top 20 as far as a promise. I, I don't know why they would ever want to pair Towns with Rui's defense. That just seems like a train wreck of an idea. Like, I get that he can really score, but that's just a really tough sell for me. Uh, I have one question for Cole before we um, let him go. Um, I don't think he's necessarily a heat target unless they trade back somehow. But I feel like we talk about a guy like Rui or a guy like Nasir Little who they have athletic tools and don't really know how to play basketball. Uh, I feel like Nikhil Alexander-Walker is getting underrated quite a bit because I think he does have – he has the shooting ability. He has some pick-and-roll craft. I think he's a fine defender. I'm not sure how the athleticism translates. But he feels like he's just a guy that knows how to play basketball, and I'm not sure why he isn't getting more, um, I guess, mid-first-round love. Yeah, it's a great question, and normally a player I would really like. He's a very, very good basketball player, incredibly high IQ, ambidextrous, can finish and pass left. You see so much of that diversity in his game. Was running Virginia Tech's offense at times this year with Justin Robinson out. Legitimately skilled. I just think this is one of the situations where I look at his frame, very narrow build, tries really hard, competes on defense, got great hands. I just don't know if he's a good enough athlete. And this is crazy to say after talking about all these athletes that might not be smart enough and have that IQ and the skill. Now we're talking about a guy who has all the skill and the IQ but might not have enough functional athleticism, doesn't have dynamic bursts, not very explosive around the rim. He does have his fans, though. Like he, I think he ends up going like top 22, top 20, and that's justifiable. I just I look around the league, and I don't know if I see anyone exactly like him. Like, he's not his cousin. He's not Shea as far as physical tools and, like, athleticism. He's just not that good. But uh, I, I do feel like I probably, if I miss on somebody in this class, it, it might be being too low on him. I guess the real, real last question. Your <laughs> dreams, like, out of all the guys we talked about, who do you think is the best for Miami? I mean, I'm a big people say best player available, but you really have to be able to optimize the player. But in this case, I would just take Brandon Clark. I I just think he's the guy for me in the class, his impact on the defensive side, uh, the functional athleticism. He's the second best athlete in this class on the floor. And this is not a class that has high skill level at the top of the draft. We're not seeing these initiators like Luca or Trey. There's just not those guys. And I look at the, the class and say, who can make a difference making impact potentially. And I think I would bet on someone who, somehow is 22 years old and not a lot of people are going to see the upside in this player. Like I get yelled at all the time on Twitter, like, Oh, Sekou's 18. Like, what are you saying? Like Clark's 23 almost. But for me, I think older guys can still improve. And I just see such a strong baseline and knowing how to play basketball and being able to apply that to the floor. So I think best case scenario, just from a best player available perspective, I would take Brandon Clark. Cole's wicker, everyone. You can find him at T O L E Z. W I C K E R. Why why are you laughing at me, man? Why can't I promote the man's Twitter account in peace? That's one way to promote it. Yeah. Now, why 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 are you making fun of my re- it's late? I'm reading poorly. I'm shook because I can't read this year little's wingspan correctly. Uh, Cole man, <laughs> Thank you for your time. incredible. Thank you for putting up with all our nonsense. Uh it was great informative. Our listeners are gonna love it. Thank you so much. Of course, guys, that was a lot of fun. Take care, man. Um 
Cole, everybody. So I do want to get a little bit into free agency talk because there's a lot that kind of happened with the Heat lately. Um, so that was the draft talk. No way that he thought that was fun, right? <laughs> he, he just, I, think it was fun. I think he's programmed to say it was a lot of fun, guys. But in reality, when I called this year little 7 2 small forward, he must have been like, these guys, oh, no. what am I doing? It's 10 <laughs> it's 1030 at night. This is my 20th podcast of the day. Nikaias, how embarrassed are you? <laughs> I think we all knew it was his wingspan, but that was a funny I moment. I mean, come on. And, dude, and then, no, but then Leif is, t- Leif is like, yeah, the guy from What's It Called State. And I was like, the hell do I know? I haven't watched a damn second of college basketball. Oh, I don't know what any look, of these guys know, look here's like. A, here's, I want to give you guys, the listeners, a behind the scenes of what this podcast was supposed to be. Oh, so Gianni on our Twitter chat really wanted to talk Raptors basketball for a third straight show. They won the damn championship. Anyway, he we were on the Miami Heat podcast. I snuck it in. You Anyways, saw that? I, I snuck it in with I, the switch, with the switching <laughs> and the, you know. You did. You did. It did. Continue, Brian. So I just I, I think it's funny that like the show that we really want to do I think our listeners want to listen to it is something that's more draft uh, heavy and and I think Cole did a great job at giving you great insight on every single prospect that he probably has on their target range. Had no clue after listening to this part who I still want the Heat to select. I think uh, I think I'm in on Seku. I, I think know. the defense rest. I'm, I'm, it's, it's Clark Hive over here. I, I'm, I'm, I'm like Clark or Seku. Like I know that I got bullied off talking about the Heat situation, but I, I do think that that's like a, I do think that's important to like you know if you if you want a guy to succeed, especially because Clark's a, a little older. Like I think you want, you know, you have to have a concerted effort of okay, like we need to thin out this this power forward rotation. Which Miami did last year with the guards, if if you remember, like they had this entire logjam at guard, and they sent Ellington and Tyler away for essentially just Ryan Anderson was gonna not play, uh, because it was it was creating issues and they just had too many guards and and I think power forwards, you know, if they draft one, that's gonna be an issue, right? Because you're gonna want Kelly next to Bam, and then they're they play James Johnson a lot. They need that sometimes they need that secondary ball handler. So I don't think that's a small thing. No, I think that's fair. I guess my only counter to that would be they also need a long-term option at the four at some point. And if you feel like Bam is going to be your five, um, Kelly is, I think, what, 27. So I think he's going to, he's probably going to be the the duration of his contract. But after that, what exactly are you doing? They don't don't have a small forward though. Like they, like they don't, they, they keep like throwing Josh there, but we know where we want Josh. We want Josh at the two with justice in the backcourt. And then they need a natural small forward. I think ideally that's Derek Jones Jr. If he continues to develop the spot up shot, which he really shows some flashes of last year, and he's worked I a lot to make that point. Um, when we were talking about Brandon Clark, it's like you're talking about the fit with Bam and Brandon Clark not being like a great shooter yet. And we just played Derek Jones Jr. at the four, and he turned into like the best. Well, offensive that, wait rebound a second, yeah, basketball. but I was gonna say like the offensive rebound rate was like sixty, so that'll tilt any offense to yeah. to, to competency. But my thing is, like, Brandon Clark, like, at very worst, it's a very sloppy comparison, but at very worst, he's the same kind of freak athlete Derrick Jones Jr. is, but can actually play basketball with both of them. Oh, That's why you meet in the middle and you go P.J. Washington. Is that your guy, Lee? <laughs> uh, no, Kevin Porter Jr. is still my, my number one option. I'm sticking there. But P.J. Washington's right behind him, and I don't think Nasir Little or Sekou is going to be available when we pick, so I've kind of – the ship has sailed there. But I would be happy with either of those two guys either. You know, um, this, this draft – I am out on Bowl Bowl. I do not want any part of him at all. I wouldn't take him if we traded down, out. I don't – I'm not into that pick. That's why we didn't talk about him. Sweet. Do you guys <laughs> – how do you guys feel about Miami trading out of their pick? Uh, I mean, there's there's really one way or only one reason why they would do it. Just a clear cat space for the summer, right? I mean, but like, I guess if you can, if you can, if you want to go by the rumors, I mean, we just we know that I guess the Heat are going to try to get a meeting or trying to put together a meeting with Jimmy Butler, even though they don't have the cat space at the moment. What? Yeah, it's it's a tough spot because if they make that move and they were to trade out a thirteen and shed JJ, like in that Cleveland deal that people talk about. 
then you would feel like, oh, shit, they got other stuff lined up. Because that's like, if you make that move just to like, make sure that you're clear of the luxury tax or so that you can spend an exception, I feel like that's ridiculous reasons to trade down. So it has to be connected to a couple other moves where you were going to, you know, gear up to have flexibility. So like, I would be excited if they traded down because I feel like it would signal that something else was coming. But for the most part, look at that. Something's coming. Uh, but, you know, for the most part, I think they're, they're better off staying at that at 13. Yeah, the other rumor that we have to bring up is Barry Jackson. And who else has reported? I think Tim Reynolds have basically said that um, the Heat are, are expecting Whiteside to opt into his deal and they're expected to work on a trade for him because he's going to ask for a trade as soon as he opts in to try to get himself more playing time and to help him with his uh, next contract since he's a, an expiring free agent or an expiring uh, – will be an expiring deal this summer to be a free agent in 2020. Leif, I think it was you that said that the only things that they have been offered are longer-term contracts? Yeah, well, I mean, in the exit interview, they said to Hassan, if you come back next year, it's going to be in a reduced role. So that was, like put, that was made abundantly clear Light from years. the get-go. And, um, you know, so I think that they've kind of arrived at a place where they realize that they're not a good fit for each other. So they're going to look for something else. And I don't see how they're going to do that except if they can attach an asset. So there's one scenario where if you can move Gorin and then use the asset you get for Gorin to get off Hassan, like maybe that can make some sense, but I don't think it makes sense to attach any of the other assets to Hassan. So then why, why would they, why would, why would they not just keep them if that's the case? Keep who? Hassan. Like, why would you get rid of something to get rid of him? You're about to come into $27 million off your books. Like, why well, you- because if they're trying to clear as much cap space um, for this summer as possible, you know, like that, you know, uh, otherwise, really, you're going to look for another expiring contract that is equally as ugly and um, maybe a better fit for the roster, or you do the Jermaine O'Neal, Sean Marion thing where you trade for a guy who expires a year later and then you line up for 2021, which I personally think is probably the right move. And I think that after they exhaust all their options, trying to find something that works sooner, that they'll end up going that route because it'll be really the only one presented to them. And that may not happen like on July 1st. So we'll have some impatient Heat fans too. That's the move I like. And that's the one I I know that it's it's the boring one because it's the patience route, but that's what I really want them to do. I agree in theory. I also feel like, I think in general, the Heat fan base is just very, very tired of Hassan, and they just kind of want him gone for anything. And I don't think enough has been made of the fact that he was legit good last year. He was. And I do think while Bam is obviously the center of the future, and I am very high on his upside, um, I do think there are still some minor questions to be answered, um, more so the, the touch, and I think, I think it's fair to question how he anchors the glass as like the lone five. The the, um, the rebounding there with him and Kelly up front is okay, but it's not great. Hassan immediately makes you a top three rebounding team. He's on the floor. If you can't find a deal, I would find two minutes tonight and just let him expire rather than taking something. I so for me and and I said this on multiple podcasts. Like I and I and by the way, Nikias, your point is not talked about enough. How how well that two-headed monster at center has been. They had a lot of problems last year. Center was not really one of them. Um, mm-hmm. I think the idea of him in a contract year, playing hard, doing all the right things, um, helping... Dude, he, he's in a contract year. What's he going to do? He's going to kick and scream and not play? Like, also, come on. You know, like, he, he Hassan, Hassan's not dumb, and he knows what's going to feed him as well. So... I I like the idea of them coming into the cap with him and Goran and Brian Anderson coming off all at the same time. They have this massive cap spike. And then at that point, you can make some decisions if you want to take in perhaps some some other contracts from other teams to line up your real, real cap when all the four-year deals come off the books. And you could probably take in some picks and you take other people's bad contracts. So that's kind of where I've always been. But it, it's I know he fans are impatient and they don't want to hear that. Jimmy, you're bust. I'm not. I'm not a big Nikai. We haven't talked, but like, I'm not a big like signed Jimmy guy. I don't know how you feel about that. Uh, I'm very wary of like five years. I think if it's like three, then I'm kind of cool. Thirty, dude. 
Like I said, he doesn't have like a ton of mileage, and again, the heat. They're intense really miles, though. Yeah, like yeah, they're very concentrated miles. But just in general, he doesn't have like huge mileage on his body, and also the Heat desperately need a shot creator. Like that's the one player archetype that they're missing. So I get the appeal. I just don't want five years locked into Jimmy. Like I would much rather make a three-year play, and then you roll it over when your cap sheet becomes a little more, um, a little more stable. But he's not gonna get any better, right? So he's probably only gonna get worse from here. But on think out. how he'll unlock Jay Rich and Justice and Bam's games. He'll be an extension of what Dwayne was for them. Come on, I'm selling this to you. Hope trafficking. You really want hey, him, huh? Boston's tearing apart by the seams as of tonight. The oh, Heat man. have a chance. The Heat have a You don't think Pat Riley's looking at Danny A. Jamil like, screw you, I'm taking your spot in the Eastern Conference. I- Assets and liabilities. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, highest of keys, Kyrie and Horford are out. And if Kawhi goes to the Clippers, like – it's Milwaukee, and then what? Philly. That's Philly. Like, if Miami gets Jimmy, then they have some things to work out in terms of their shooting. I, I mean, I think Indiana's a dark horse to, because they have so much cap space. Yeah, that's that's fair. But like in the general, Nets. like I could I can see where Pat Riley thinks there's a path there. Totally. We can kind of get into whether we think the path is you know large enough to walk through, but through the lens of Riley, I think he can see that and make that kind of play. It's, it's not Riley's just going to be Jimmy, right? It's yeah, going to be Jimmy, right? It's kind if of, he had his way, it would be Conley and Jimmy. That's oh my opinion. My God, that sounds horrid. Uh, what about Jimmy and CP3? Kevin Love is just made available. <laughs> uh, sure, uh, I just want to see Nikias' face. Look, man, it, it really hurts. because, like, Chris Paul is legit. I think he's probably my second or third favorite player ever. And just the end of his career has just irked the life out of me, man. It just—I mean, Daryl just can't get out of his own way with the way that he is. Like, you can't have peak CP3 grit at like 34 years old. It just doesn't work when you're also playing alongside the reigning MVP. Like, it just—you can't. Like, even if you're right, there's a way to go about kind of expressing your thoughts, and it doesn't seem like he's done that well. Uh, Zach Lowe tweeted a couple hours ago, just spoke to Daryl Morey. He reiterated that there has been no demand from Chris Paul. Tweet that. I said that. Print that. Tweet it twice. So Could Chris Paul and Justice Winslow coexist in the same I lineup? I don't want another ball-dominant guard. <laughs> I don't. But what if you could get rid of Dion, JJ, and Hassan all in the same deal and get a draft pick what back good with does, Chris Hold on, Paul. wait a second. What good does that do you when all those guys... No, it completely like, blows up yeah, the 2021 you worse, plan. <laughs> you have a worse damn thing. And, Nikias, to your point, the Bucks might not be able to keep... Um, Brooke, well, they're probably not going to be able to keep Brook Lopez, and there's a, there's a legit question mark about Brogdon if, they really, if they're going to commit a max to Chris Middleton. So... Even the Bucks, as we know them, might not exist in the iteration. Yeah, Matt, imagine if Middleton gets poached. I mean, yeah. Brogdon is like so incredibly I'm, important to them. So I'm less concerned about that, to be honest. With Miritich, Brogdon, and um, Middleton, and Brook Lopez, all free agents. Yeah, George Hill. Whenever they um, whenever they waive him, because they're not bringing him back for like that 23 million or whatever it's going to be, but um. I think Chris Milton comes back at a little bit less than the max. I do think they match Brogdon because I think he – like, they just can't have Eric Bledsoe as, like, the long plus guard on that roster. So then that's it, right? They're kind of capped out at that point. I mean, they would still have, I think, the mid-level to work with with Brooke Lopez. I think Meritage is gone. Meritage is it's gone. Really I mean, they can make George a – George Hill's market is, but, yeah. Maybe make a play at Dwayne Dedman? I would like that. But, um, I mean, that's really going to depend on – what they do, what happens with Lopez? I think Lopez wants to be there, so I don't, I'm not really too concerned about that unless someone throws him like one year, sixteen million. I mean, I, I wouldn't be. I mean, you know how how the league is, so somebody might might want to take him away, maybe the Nets or something. I don't know. Um, the other thing I look at, I mean, and it also depends on what Kawhi does, the outlook of the mm-hmm. season. Obviously, if Kawhi stays, then that completely changes the dynamic of of the conference. And if he leaves, then it it becomes very disoriented. Like I, I think Kawhi staying kind of puts order in the conference and almost I, I mean just taking my fandom for the Raptors aside I, I almost want Kawhi to come back just because it I don't think it gives the heat false hope right like I think we see like okay like there's really no 
legitimate path to contention. And I think if Kawhi yeah. stays, it kind of puts that in order. Like, no, you are not better than this team. Yeah, that makes sense. Like, Don't tweet that, but that makes sense. I won't tweet that. I mean, let me say, you know, no, tweet twice. Guess what? what? Horford and Kyrie are gone. Boston has just enough cap space to uh, accept Hassan Whiteside into their space. Oh, what was the trade that somebody proposed? It was swapping 13 for 22 and then Hassan for Hayward. I don't know why Boston would yeah. do that, but. Uh, I, th- I mean, for, just to get Hayward's contract out of there. But I mean, isn't but, the, isn't I mean, the leg injury like a two, two and a half year thing? Like, don't they expect him to be good again? Yeah, like I don't think they would do it, but I mean that that would be the thinking behind the deal, just kind of clear the decks a little bit. How dope would it be to leave the draft time. night with Gordon Hayward and uh, Kevin Porter Jr.? Oh, Leif, Leif will get his bad. Uh, you guys, <laughs> yeah, we're we're, we're kind of over time here, but like, how do you guys feel about Kevin Love? No, Capri Sun. 